Welcome to Garbage and Gold, the podcast that is wholeheartedly winsome, whimsically wacky, and wildly witty. What are you going to do for Y and Z? Have you thought about it? What am I going to do for X? I thought we were just going to skip X. Was that not? Did we talk about that already? No, we didn't talk about that. (laughs) Oh, I guess I just assumed it. Okay, fine. All right. I'm Lisa. And I am Lindsay. This is the podcast where we deliberate the best and the worst of a topic, and you, dear listeners, get to decide who you think is right. We will give you more information about how you can do that at the end of the show. Let's hit the recap and the poll results from our Coffee Chains episode before we get on to our topic for this week. Lisa, the poll results are in for our Coffee Chain episode. Yeah. Yep, they are. Yeah. I I bet. I have 8 billion post-it notes over here. I can't find them. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Lisa, in the showdown between my garbage of Dunkin' Donuts and your garbage of McDonald's McCafe. (laughs) Yes. I do win. <gasps> wow. More than McCafe? Yeah. Yep. Oh, guys. <laughs> oh. That got okay. real judgy right. real fast. Oof. And then yeah. Lisa yep. in the gold between my gold of Starbucks and your gold of scooters. Mm-hmm. I also win. Yes, yes, yes. It is hard yeah. to beat a classic such as Starbucks. So. Well, it, congratulations it on your Thank coffee you. sweep. Thank you. Not as important good. as 90s music, but I got to feel like it's up there for you. <laughs> I mean, there are very few things in life that I claim to be any kind of expert on. <laughs> and uh, 90s music and coffee are, <laughs> and here are right are. up there. So it's nice when I win those. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. So, Lisa, I do have a listener comment today. Oh, yes. Please tell me. And I just wanted to point out, it really is someone throwing shade at you because mm. you very clearly stated that your gold scooters... Mm-hmm. is drive through only and yeah. uh carlene on facebook did let us know that there are walk-in yeah. scooters in yeah did she say nebraska i think she said nebraska i think she said nebraska also i have yeah. never encountered one and i can promise you i've never gone in and sat and had a drink in one so right but i stand corrected thank mm-hmm. you for for informing me that there are scooters you can actually go into there are yep mm-hmm. correct fair enough, fair enough. lisa <laughs> yes. Do you have any recommendations for people today? I do. Okay. There's two of them. They're both uh, media. One is I started listening to um, a 90 Day Fiance podcast because we're doing bonus coverage on our Patreon of 90 Day Fiance. And Lindsay and I are very obsessed with it. And I'm very obsessed with it. And I just wanted to hear more about it. So I just, honest to goodness, searched 90 Day Fiance and my podcast listener app. And it gave me the most perfect recommendation ever, which is 90 Day Gay. And it's two gay men that cover the 90 Day Fiance series. And they do, they've done like all of them, I guess. Or they have some on their Patreon. They have, like, these are public. The 90 Day, the other way that we are doing is also public. And I'm just obsessed. And it's so fun to hear them talk about it too and hear new things that we hadn't thought of or to, like to hear things that we're like, yep, okay, same, 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 same. So anyway, yeah. if you're watching 90 Day Fiance the other way, you should listen to us, obviously, but also listen to 90 Day Gay. It's great. It is um, mature content warning. They do swear in things on there, but I yep. am obsessed with it. So speaking of things that they swear and stuff on, I have another mature recommendation, <laughs> which is The Watchmen on HBO. It's a, a limited, I think it's limited series. Anyway, but it's a it's takes place 30 years after the Watchmen graphic novel and it's written by Damon Lindelof and a bunch of other people and it is 
it's real good. It's real, real good. It's heavy. It's very race relations driven, but it's also very well done. And it's just incredible. And it's amazing. And it's violent and it's scary, but it's also really insightful and wonderful. So The Watchmen on HBO, if you get a chance to watch that, I super recommend it. I've already watched like two episodes and I just started it yesterday because I'm that obsessed. So, And I think it's free on Amazon Prime it is. for the month. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's free on Prime, Hulu, um, and something else because it's through HBO. But then I think it's, yeah, through the end of the month, you can watch it for free. And I think mm-hmm. it's like, get on that. It is maze so good so good so good super good okay those are my records that's what i've been up to is (laughs) listening to 90 day gay and watching the watchmen so hey i'm here for that those are all the things Lindsay. so now let's get on to the show Right. Lindsay is here to present our topic, which is young adult dystopian movies. So niche, so wonderful. Super <laughs> here for all the things. So Lindsay, give mm-hmm. us a give us a background on young adult dystopian things. Okay. So for you and the four people who are going to listen to this episode, uh, <laughs> I thought what I would do is dive in a little bit into yeah. what dystopian is. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to explain what young adults are or what movies are. So hopefully that's okay. Um, and then we'll dive into some characteristics of young adult dystopian movies. Lisa, they, all of these facts, and I use the term fact loosely, are you better be this week. Oh, okay. So, Great. so there's no, there's no true no crime quiz. in this okay. for you to figure out. Great. So you, <laughs> okay, w- good. you I get found it last week. That's right. I'll take a break. I'll get a week yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, get a, you get a week off. Um, so our research today comes from, of course, Wikipedia, but also um, a great article on Vanity Fair. So nice. Okay. If you take the word dystopia back to the original Greek, which of course you do with all things. You do. Etymology. Let's go. Yeah. Um, Dystopia is translated roughly as the not good place. Um, (laughs) It is the opposite of utopia. So dystopia, it's not good is is basically it. So then... When we start talking about dystopias, they're often characterized, especially in books and movies, by dehumanization, totalitarian governments, ruthless mega corporations, some sort of environmental disaster, or any kind of dramatic decline in society, whether that be human rights, whether that be, um, you know, physical decline, any of Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Dystopian societies appear in many different subgenres of fiction, and often they are used to draw attention to potential or real world trends that are combined with societal issues. So one of the things that dystopians do really, really well is they help us look at and uh, maybe critique or judge what's going on in our world. Sometimes with a dystopian, the most disturbing ones are they are very close to being how we actually are, but it's just another steps to get from here to there pretty clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So some popular topics that are covered in dystopians are environmental, cultural, political, economic, Economical, religious, psychological, ethical, scientific, and technological issues. So it covers really a wide range of things, which I think is one of the fun things about a dystopian absolutely book or movie is it's it's you never really quite know where mm-hmm. they're going to be. Right. And then in a dystopian movie, they point to those things and, and it's basically like if you don't fix this, this is how we're going to end up. Yes. 
Yes. Specifically, young adult dystopian movies really kind of hit their prime in 2012 with the release of what movie do you think? Oh, Hunger Games, I would assume. Yes, it was the Hunger Games. Um, (laughs) Yes. Hollywood felt like they had found their new thing. The Hunger Games, the first movie in a series of four, massive hit. Um, And because of that, because it was while it was in production, movie studios started greenlighting all kinds of young adult dystopian book adaptations into movies yes so things like the divergent series came next Mm -hmm. the maze runner series Mm -hmm. uh even they brought back the giver which Mm -hmm. i read in school but that became a movie within the last few years Mm -hmm. and it was super interesting because it boomed but by 2018 the market had been so saturated and really kind of the strike while the iron's hot had just been missed. And so every young adult dystopian movie released started earning less and less money until uh, they really are not really that popular anymore. There's not a ton of them coming out. Right. Which for a while there, that was all that was coming out. Right. Right. I feel like the next big, I mean, I could be wrong with this too, but the next big trend and big budget movies was in superhero movies. And that kind of took the the thing for everything. Yeah. Totally. So there's an excellent paper on uh, Virginia Tech's website in which someone who is a middle school teacher did kind of a deep dive into young adult dystopian books. But I think it crosses over into movies, too. Okay. And he pointed out four main features that you can find in a young adult dystopian literature slash movie. There's some sort of central platonic or romantic relationship Yes. Something. There's someone very bonded to someone else. Yes. There's excessive measures of police society. So there's a totalitarian government. There's over control of the people. Yeah. There's also a high pressure to conform. No, for sure. Yeah. Yep. So you have to you have to fit into certain things. And then the last one is media manipulation and propaganda. Yeah. So we see those things in dystopian young adult books all the time and so uh they do kind of a deep dive into why this genre is so popular with teenagers and i would say why it's so popular with grown-ups also and they point out a bunch of things but it's that we're able to see the injustices of our world and then begin to think of of uh, of like we see the injustice in that world and then we see the injustice in our own world Mm -hmm. there's something about a coming of age story so whether you are in the middle of that or you are older there's something about that finding yourself mm-hmm. um finding your identity kind of thing which is all over dystopian ya Absolutely. movies yep this one was interesting this one i hadn't thought of is the main character is often isolated mm-hmm. either physically or mentally or they're different right and that is a theme that teenagers seem to really connect to absolutely teenagers often feel isolated yep. or like they don't fit in and and the movies and mm-hmm. books really point that out. And also there's in uh, young adult dystopian movies and books, the main character finds some sort of agency. So while they're in this system or this this culture that is bad and oppressive and not good, almost uniformly the main character finds some way in which they can make that better. So they find some sort of agency in fixing their society. Yeah. I think dystopian books are 
super rad, but they're definitely one of my favorite genres because it looks at things to the extreme and it's like, okay, so now what? And I'm super here for it. So, Lindsay, now that you've presented us with all that amazing research for young adult dystopian movies, what is your garbage young adult dystopian movie from that flash in the pan genre that we had hot and heavy for a while? So my garbage mm-hmm. young adult dystopian movie is Allegiant. Yeah. Allegiant is the third movie out of four planned Divergent series movies. Uh, They are the, we'll get there. They are the movie adaptation of the Divergent book series written by Veronica Roth. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a brief overview of all of the plots of the movies. Okay. And then we will discuss why I believe Allegiant is garbage. Okay. Starting with the Divergent movie released in 2014. In a world where people are divided into distinct factions based on human virtues, Tris Pryor is warned she is divergent and will never fit into any one group. When she Mm -hmm. discovers a conspiracy by a faction leader to destroy all divergents, Triss must learn to trust in the mysterious guy named Four, and together they must find out what makes being divergent so dangerous before it's too late. Mm -hmm. That is movie number one. Movie number two, called Insurgent. As they search for allies and answers in the wake of the uprising, Triss and Four are on the run. They are hunted by the leader of the Erudite faction. Triss and Four race against time as they try to figure out what abnegation sacrificed their lives to protect and why the Erudite leaders will do anything to stop them. Haunted Mm -hmm. by her past choices but desperate to protect the one she loves, Triss faces one impossible challenge after another as she unlocks the truth about the past and ultimately the future of her world. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Allegiant. Triss must escape with four and go beyond the wall in closing Chicago. For the first time ever, they will leave the only city and family they have ever known in order to find a peaceful solution for their embroiled city. Mm-hmm. Once outside, old discoveries are quickly rendered meaningless with the revelation of shocking new truths. Triss right. must quickly decide who she can trust as a ruthless battle ignites beyond the walls of Chicago. In order to survive, Triss will be forced to make impossible choices about courage, allegiance, sacrifice, and love. Hmm. That's a lot for one young dystopian heroine. It is. It's a lot for her. It is a mm-hmm. lot. Yep. Mm-hmm. So why is this movie garbage, you might be asking. I don't know why you're still asking. I just <laughs> read it I'm to I'm not. You. <laughs> but the other three people listening are. So please, right. Lindsay, tell me. <laughs> tell us the worlds that veronica roth created started out like the divergent book is good it's interesting it's i love neo chicago i'm so here for it Mm -hmm. oh and like this idea of like you kind of fitting into these different things and then like what happens when you're a little bit of everything like it's cool i like yeah it it is it's a very cool world system yeah yes so it's really exciting in the first movie because the first book is also really good Yes. And then it just gets progressively more and more boring as it gets more and more complex. Yeah. But, like the stakes aren't high enough for you to care. Right. In the first book, I feel like I cared about Triss. I cared about the stakes. By the end, I was like, what's going on? I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. The other reason why I think this movie is garbage is the world isn't different enough. Like if I'm going to watch a yes. dystopian movie, I want it to be like, whoa, yeah, that looks different yes yeah that that seems different um and we'll get to that with my gold a little bit yeah it's not different it looks very same yeah it does or 
anything that does look different is a repeat of something we've already seen look different in a different movie. Yeah. Yeah. Another reason, even the director of the first movie knew that this wasn't going to go well. So Neil Berger directed the first film, Divergent, which again, is not a bad movie either. No, no. He was originally going to direct the sequel, but it was announced that he would not return because he was so busy in post-production on the first movie, he was not able to prep the second movie. And he said there was no breathing room. They were like, we're holding to a March 25th release date. Yeah. And we have to start no later than May 2014. It was a recipe for failure, at least with me on board. So even the director's like, this is... This is not going to go well with right. this timeline. And they still right. did it anyway. Mm. Another reason, the acting is not good. It's not. <laughs> Ansel, it's, I'm going to say something quite shocking. Ansel yeah. Elgort is not a good actor. Not in this. I think he's good in Baby Driver. I don't think he's good in this. But, I, mm-hmm. I have not seen Baby Driver. Okay. but I He's good in Baby Driver. This does not do him any favors. No. Yeah, the, the Divergent series does not do him any favors. No. Um, Theo James, who plays four, should stick to period pieces. And also, why does he look twice the age of everyone else in this movie? Yeah, he is a beautiful human. And is real gorgeous. And yeah, but he does. He looks when you read the book, you're already kind of like, oh, they're going to be a they're going to be an item. Okay, And then you see it on screen. You're like, oh, no, he could be her like professor. Okay, Yeah. And Theo James, he needs to wear a cravat and a top hat. That's what he does. That's Mm -hmm. that's what he looks good in. And I don't know who gave him vocal coaching, but that American accent is bad. Bad. Just make him British. Who cares? Right. Whatever. It's a dystopian. So he's British. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. And Shailene Woodley is an Oof. excellent reminder to you how bad the Hunger Games could have been if yes. they didn't have Jennifer Lawrence. Because she can't carry the movie. She, she can't. Is, she's not enough. She's not enough. And she tries real hard and you can see it, but it, it is not. It is not yes. enough. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seemed a little bit like when they were casting the Divergent movies, they kind of went, oh, who's really popular in teen movies? Let's just get all of them, like Ansel mm-hmm. Elgort and Miles Teller and Shailene. Mm-hmm. Like, they've been in 8,000 other teeny things. And mm-hmm. it's like, eh, just find something else. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. As we talked about earlier, the plot is super convoluted. It takes forever to get for it to get anywhere. Um, so this movie, Allegiant, only covers half of the final book in the series. As they've been doing with all the other series, like Twilight and Hunger Games, they decided to split yeah. the last book into two movies. What they did not count on is how terrible that book is. And so they... <laughs> Split the book. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. With a fourth movie planned that yep. never happened. It's real bad. There was some talk. Not about, even a direct to DVD release. Well, they were going to do a direct to DVD release and the actors wouldn't come back for it. And so it was eventually canceled. <sighs> and so when we get right down to it, why is Allegiant garbage? There's a thousand different reasons, but really the source material is bad. I read these books. I. I love books. I hoard books. I love them Same. a lot. It's like a Same. joke with people who know me. I threw the Allegiant book away. Yeah. I finished reading it and I put it in the garbage. I have never just thrown away a book yeah. ever. I will always yeah. donate it or give it away. I threw it away. Yeah. Yes. That like I wouldn't re I wouldn't reread it. No, 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 absolutely not. So I also have read the series. 
Um, and I saw Divergent. I did not watch the rest of them because I knew I didn't need to. Um, so yeah, Divergent starts off. It's a world building and it's like, you know, it's, it's a dystopian. Cool. We're into it. Great. Second book, you're like, fantastic. Cause now we're going to see more of this. We're going right. to see like what is beyond, you know, like the school, whatever. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like, Oh, all right. Like, it's not great, but okay. It's, I expected more. All right. But then it just, yeah, it just really goes downhill. When they finally are leaving Chicago, you're like, yeah. And then you leave Chicago and you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. Yeah. So I think what happens there is like they do with movies. When Veronica Roth had a really great idea and she mm-hmm. brought it to a publisher, they were like, fantastic. Make us three books. Yeah. It could have been a book. It could have maybe been a duology. Three books was not a good idea. No. And I think you see that a lot in in books in general, but especially young adult books, is they want it to market it as a trilogy. And so then yep. either the second book becomes filler or the, in Divergence case, the third book just becomes like, what is happening? Yeah. What are we doing? Can this just be over? And then it is and you hate everything. So, Lisa, that was my garbage dystopian yeah. young adult movie. What is yeah. your garbage dystopian movie? My garbage dystopian movie is The Giver. Oh, dystopian YA, dystopian YA. I should clarify. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, The Giver, the 2014 film directed by Philip Noyce. It has Jeff Bridges, Brenton Thwaites, maybe is how you say his name, Odea Rush, Meryl Streep, Alexander Skarsgård, Katie Holmes, Cameron Monaghan, Taylor Swift, and Emma Tremblay, based on the 1993 young adult novel of the same name by Lois Lowry. So let's get to the book. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that before we get to the movie. The book, all this information from Wikipedia, like, duh. Uh, Hmm. The Giver is a 1993 American young adult dystopian novel by Lois Lowry. It's in a society which appears to be utopian at first, which is kind of cool. But then it's like revealed, like slowly the layers get peeled back and it's actually dystopian as the story progresses. The novel is centered around a 12 year old boy named Jonas. And like the quote, big thing that makes this society dystopian in this book is that the society has taken away pain by converting everybody to sameness. So that's where it's like, oh, it'll be great. It'll be a utopia because nobody has things like pain or fear or anger anymore that also means where we get into the dystopian is they don't have things like joy and passion and whatever so everybody's just kind of the same gray like there's no emotional depth there's like literally no color there's no terrain climate anything it's just all same z's so all right so we get to jonas and he is selected to inherit the position of the receiver of memory and the person who stores all the past memories so the giver is in the person who will be giving him these memories which is where the name of the book comes from uh jonas struggles with concepts of all these things and new emotions introduced to him like obviously like he's 12 which is already hard and then it's like oh by the way everything you've ever been told about anything is a lie and you are not responsible for all the knowledge of our society so thanks. The Giver won the 1994 Newbery Medal and has sold more than 10 million copies worldwide as of 2014. And a 2012 survey designated it the fourth best children's novel of all time. I'm legit getting teary eyed because I love this book. <laughs> I love it. It's I've, so good. I've read it, it is, so yes, many times. The book is incredible. And yeah. I will get to that. But before I do, we have to talk about the movie. No, let's not talk about the movie. Let's just talk about the book more. <laughs> Please. So the, 
movie addresses everything as such. Uh, there's a calamity they refer to as the ruin, and society has been reorganized, which again, they remove conflict, pain, and suffering. Babies are being brought into the world through genetic engineering, which is great for teenage hormones, as we all know. And all memories of the past are held by one person, and then to shield everybody else from the community, and then they are going to pass that on to their protege. So it's kind of like a... Um, this is a nerd reference for you. You're welcome, everyone but Lindsay. So it's like a Sith and their apprentice or like a Jedi and their Padawan. Like there's only ever two. There's the main person and then there's the person learning from them. That's it. That's who, that's all whoever has that knowledge. All right. That was your nerd moment of the day. (laughs) (laughs) In the movie, Jonas is 16, which is problematic because 12 to 16 is significantly (laughs) different. He has best friends, which also... Not great because those are emotional connections and that's not what the sameness is. He graduates and he's told he's the next receiver of memory and he'll start getting memories from the giver. And then during his training, he learns about the past. Um, he stops taking his daily injections and begins to experience what emotions are. Um, so that he can be the next receiver of memory that the movie ends with Jonas and someone else. I won't tell you who enter a snowy, area and he sees a sled because he's trying to get away from the community and he sees a sled and he like rides it downhill across the border and this is how the book ends as they ride this sled like down the hill like leaving the community basically Mm -hmm. in the movie however other things happen as a result of that and that's a big issue for me because the book intentionally leaves it very vague and intensely open-ended for interpretation and it's like does it go well? Does it not? Like, you have no idea. In the movie, they're like, oh, good. It worked out. And it's like, but no, you don't know that it worked out. Are you sure? Am I sure what? I feel like in the movie, he finds people. Or in the book. In the book, he, like, they they sled somewhere and they find people. Or is that they in the They see next a house book? with lights on, but they, okay. you don't know what happens from that. Right. Okay. Yeah, they get to a house where there's lights on. But in the movie, it's like other things happen as a result of him. Like there's people that are going to be, quote, released in the which means um, they're going to be killed. But anyway, so then things like good things happen as a result of him leaving. Whereas when he actually leaves in the book, you just you have no idea. And I think that was so intentional by Lois Lowry that they did not do well in the film, which makes me mad. It's such a cool concept. Veronica Roth, you need to read more Lois Lowry and mm. like, I mean, everybody it. read more Lois Lowry, honestly. Ugh, but, so yeah. good. I love her. So good. Okay. So, why it's garbage. The first reason is how it came into being. And basically, Jeff Bridges demanded this become a screenplay. How dare you go after the dude? I know. Listen, I love Jeff Bridges. I'm just saying that maybe Jeff Bridges was more than a little biased because he really wanted his dad to play the giver, which incredible obviously Mm -hmm. r.i.p and that's what ended up happening is lloyd bridges died before he could do this so then jeff ended up being the giver whatever so i think how it started was just so much of like a personal passion thing and it just doesn't go great from there like i get it it's a great book you want to see it happen you want to see your dad be the giver like absolutely but that doesn't mean that it should happen that way Right. Um, and I do think people are more forgiving when this movie than they should be because the source material is so good. So there's a lot of like, oh, I love the giver. Like everybody loves the giver, but we should be more critical of the movie because of that, because 
the source material is so incredible. So it's not like an adapt. I mean, it's an adapted screenplay. So it's not an original screenplay where things are going to be different. It's you're taking something incredible. You should really be able to translate that to screen. And it's a real small book, which is great Mm -hmm. because that means that there's you can fill a good movie with that. You know, it's not like The Hobbit that we need to have in three parts. It's like and it's a one movie like we're here. It's great. Another reason why it's garbage is that they chose the wrong director in Philip Noyce. He's done amazing work like The Quiet American and Rabbit Proof Fence, which neither of those are young adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> neither of those are even close to what this should be. So it's not a movie for him to direct. Like you lose any of that young adult nuance that makes the giver incredible. And it like shoehorns teenagers into this role that doesn't make sense for them. And then it it... The tone is off because the ages are not what he's used to working with. And it just it's so obvious. It feels disjointed and disconnected. And it's because the directing is just not who it should have been. Like if it had been Danny Boyle or Zack Snyder or even like a Ron Howard who can handle, you know, those like young adult teenage like community things, it would have been so much better. But it's just not. This is real not. So it's, again, great source material and just terrible execution. And it's. It's garbage. It's garbage um, for that. I will. I think you're right that people give it a pass because they love the source material so much. Because um, yes. that's definitely what I did. And but it does. Mm. It makes the movie even worse because you're like, the mm. book is so good. What did you do to it? Yeah, it's so disappointing. It's so disappointing. And when I saw way back when when they were going to be making it into a movie, I was like, okay. And then I saw the previews and I was like, no. Yeah. No. No. Well, and it's like dystopian novels have changed. Like YA dystopian novels have yes. changed in the 20 yes. years since it or yes. 30 years since it's been. Let's not yeah. talk about that. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they've uh-huh. changed a lot. And so to try to adapt a book that doesn't fit in to the yes, current culture. To make it feel modern. Yeah. yeah. No. So, yeah, that's my garbage. The film adaptation of The Giver. <sighs> that one hurts, but you're not wrong. <laughs> I know I'm not. Okay. What is your gold? What is the best, the very best of the young adult dystopian movies? I will have an honorable mention for my golds of Never Let Me Go, which is a mm. British movie. And it, and it's these uh, kids find out that they are being raised basically to be organ donors. Um, and it's Ooh. just interesting and cool. Yeah. It's yeah. just a beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah. But my, my number one gold best YA dystopian movie is the Hunger Games series, but specifically Mockingjay Part 2. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Um. So the first Hunger Games movie was released in 2012. The fourth and last movie was released in 2015. They were one a year like yep. clockwork. So an overview of the movie. In a dystopian future, the Tosarian nation tol- total, I can't say that word today, the real bad in a totalitarian future, there it is the totalitarian. i couldn't i couldn't think it in my brain i was like i need i need a second okay no oh, it's difficult in a dystopian future the totalitarian nation of panem is divided into 12 districts and the capital and each year two young representatives from each district are selected by lottery to participate in 
The Hunger Games. It is part entertainment, part brutal retribution for a past rebellion. And these mm-hmm. televised games are broadcast throughout Panem. So the 24 different participants are forced to eliminate their competitors while the citizens of Panem are required to watch. So the, the government is making this happen to basically you have to watch people be murdered to remember we mm-hmm. are powerful and you should not mess with us. Right. So good. I just got goosebumps. It's so good. When 16-year-old Katniss's young sister, Prim, is selected as District 12's female representative, Katniss volunteers to take her place. So Mm -hmm. she and her male counterpart from District 12, PETA, are pitted against bigger, stronger representatives. It's a little bit – it has like a feeling of the Olympics a little bit of like these these two people who are just like – picked and then they're up against these competitors who've trained their whole lives to be part mm-hmm. of the Hunger Games. So that is the that is the overview of the first movie written by Suzanne Collins is what I, IMDb said. I don't know if that's true. Because Suzanne oh, Collins she did the screenplay? wrote the books. Oh, I mean so, she wrote the books for sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe she did. So so this sets off this series of movies in which Katniss and Peeta overcome the Hunger Games mm-hmm. and then are are kind of these reluctant heroes that keep getting pushed by the evil leader until they decide to take down their dystopian society. And why is it so good? First of all, the acting is great. So the cast of these movies is so deep and amazing. So you have Woody yes. Harrelson, who's yes. fantastic. Donald and everything Sutherland, ever. yeah. uh-huh. who gives you nightmares. He's so evil. I love him so much. Yep. Philip Seymour Hoffman is in these movies. Yeah. Julianne Moore. And then... Like, we have got to give a shout out to Jennifer Lawrence. This girl is good at acting. Yeah. She is real good at acting. And if you, and if you hear interviews with her, she really struggled with whether or not to take this part because Mm -hmm. she didn't want to be known as, you know, she didn't want to be put in a box. Yeah. She didn't want to be typecast as this. Um, and then even the teenage boys aren't bad. They're not like amazing, but they're not bad. They hold their own in, in a very big, complex Mm storyline. So mm-hmm. acting is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then the world that is created in these movies. So the world that's created in the book is interesting. The world that is created in the movies is amazing. And mm-hmm. part of that is because it's so rich in the book. Like, cause you not only have 12 districts that all have their own things, but you also have the capital, but then you also have the arenas where the hunger games are taking place. And yep. those are like interesting and complex in themselves. So it's this great technology kind of thing. It's just so fun to watch it because yes. you never really know what's going to be coming. It's just visually mm-hmm. incredible. And it's, a little bit sci-fi without being like sci-fi like we're not on a spaceship things are a little different but it also looks a little bit the same yeah right right it this these movies have and especially this last one it has action it has a love story it has a complex family it has evil leaders with really intense facial hair it has lenny kravitz (laughs) it has adventure it has the struggle between good and evil um it has a warning about media and what the and government and how the government manipulates media and all of these things are in this world Mm -hmm. So interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Another reason why the movie is gold, mm-hmm. the costumes and hair and makeup. So especially in the Mockingjay movies, they end up in the capital and the capital is known mm-hmm. for um, their kind of extravagant clothing and makeup and hair and all of those things. And so like 
wouldn't you love to be the costume or makeup and hair designer on this movie? Because you could just do the craziest thing you wanted to do and it would totally work. And it would just, it would be fine. It would be fine. And then finally, why is, why is this movie gold? Um, it's based on really good source material. Yep. It's a, those are three excellent books. I mean, they're not a hundred percent excellent all the time, but they are three incredibly good books that you are able to turn into incredibly good movies. Yeah. Suzanne Collins. And then I'm just going to wrap this up with a quote from Richard Lawson writing for Vanity Fair. I love Richard Lawson so much. Who says, this film burrows to the heart of Collins's message about mm. war and media, communicating something basic but vital about the way contemporary Western society receives, processes, and creates violence. As the Mm -hmm. final chapter of the tale that essentially kicked off this recent craze, Mockingjay Part 2 reminds us how the genre can be powerful. It's an effective way to illustrate alarming political and social realities for younger audiences while also grappling with them ourselves. So Mm -hmm. it takes all of the things and like Mm -hmm. presents it in this really clear package of you need to think about media and violence and and all of these things. And it's Mm -hmm. done so, so, so well. Mm-hmm. This was for me the very, well, I don't know if it's the first time, but it's the most significant example I have of where I liked a movie better than the book. Yep. So Lisa, that was my gold. Do we, do we need to do your gold or do you just want to move on? <laughs> we could just move right to the end of this, this episode if you want to. But maybe, maybe you have a runner up that you would like to talk I about do. knowing that you're going to lose. So maybe. My honorable mention for gold has not come out yet. It's the Chaos Walking series. It's written by Patrick Ness. It's starring Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. And it's honest to God, one of my favorite book series of all time, of all time ever, of any book of any kind ever. I just I love it so much. It's my favorite series. So Chaos Walking, honorable mention. Um, But my gold. Can I ask a question about Chaos Walking first? Well, yeah. And really, it's not about that at all. Um, Is Daisy, Daisy Ridley a good actress? answer is no i think she'll be good in this role because of her being kind of stiff and emotionless okay Mm -hmm. perfect moving on Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) so my gold is the maze runner Ooh, yeah interesting yes so the maze runner is a 2014 american dystopian science fiction film directed by wes ball and his directorial debut based on james dashner's 2009 novel of the same name all right so we're gonna get to the novel first the book our main character thomas wakes up in a metal elevator that brings him to a place called the glade he has no memory of who he is or how he got there and he eventually discovers that the glade is run by two guys Albie, the leader, and Newt, the second in charge, who both maintain order by enforcing simple but effective rules. And the elevator box surfaces from underground once every week with new food, tools, medicine, and sometimes weapons. And every month, a new boy with no memory of any kind, um, except for his first name, finds himself in that elevator box. So, like, a new person comes every month. All right. The Glade is surrounded by a square of four-mile-high walls made of concrete, and those have openings in them, which slide shut like doors every night. And then outside of those walls is the maze, which is a labyrinth of high concrete walls covered in ivory that changes every day. And so inside the maze, there are strange, lethal creatures, which they call grievers, and they're described as amorphous monsters of metal and flesh, which I swear to God is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. It's so me. I can't even handle it. Okay. 
So the Gladers, a.k.a. the Teen Boy crew, they're trying to stay alive as well as solve the maze. And they have people that run it to try to uh, track the movements of the walls and solve the puzzle and whatever to, to get out of this place. So the big thing that happens is that uh, the day after Thomas comes, a girl named Teresa is there. And she has a note that says she's the last one ever. So that's kind of how it sets mm-hmm. up the book. To the movie! The film stars Dylan O'Brien, Kaya Scoladario, Amal Amin, Thomas Brody Sangster, Ki Hong Lee, Will Poulter, and Patricia Clarkson. The story follows 16-year-old Thomas, who's portrayed by O'Brien, who wakes up in the elevator, very similar to the start of the book, um, which is great because that's what we want. We want it to be similar, we want it to be familiar, and it's a great start. You wake up having no idea where you are, how you got there, I'm already in. The Maze Runner was released on September 19th, 2014, and critics considered it to be better than most of the young adult book-to-film adaptations. Why it's gold is it's a sci-fi take on Lord of the Flies, and my god, if there isn't a better young adult dystopian than Lord of the Flies, I don't know what is. Like, a that classic's book, a classic. <laughs> it's a cl- Yes, that's the first book I ever remember reading cover to cover in school, which mm. is bad because it was like my junior year in high school, but whatever. Like, I, It's the first book I can actively remember reading cover to cover and just being obsessed with, and this is obviously a very sci-fi take on that, where like boys are having to form their old society, own hierarchy, whatever, and they don't know anything that's going on. Um, I actually think it's gold, too, because it's not romance heavy. Mm. I, there's, It's really character driven and there's some feelings, obviously, but that doesn't dominate the plot. And I really appreciate that. It's I think what happened with the Maze Runner is that it was overshadowed by the Hunger Games, which <laughs> is understandable. And the Hunger Games, again, is more like flash and awe. And we have the the opulence of the capital and all those things. Um, whereas Maze Runner is more gritty and secret driven and heavily reliant on kids just trying to solve a puzzle and like mm-hmm. w- without anyone to guide them. No one's there to tell them like they don't have a Haymitch. They don't have a right. Cinna. They have no one. It's just them trying to figure out what to do. And so the only thing they can think to do is try to figure out this maze. My final reason, this is from a, uh, a user on Rotten Tomatoes. Despite featuring a somewhat cliched narrative, which is the young adult dystopian in general, especially mm-hmm. at this point, Wes Ball's Maze Runner delivers unusual attention to character and world development, producing unforeseen engagement and bringing new depth to a tired subgenre. And I think that's what makes the Maze Runner so great, is that it's this really, it's it's dystopian, but they're not necessarily pitted against each other, which is mm-hmm. kind of nice. Like, they have to work together, and that's where the Lord of the Flies things comes in. It's not like, oh, it's us, it's them against them, it's them against an unknown factor, right. and I really like that. So then it just breeds that little community of yeah interest. So, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, though. I, th- I think what is difficult is... <laughs> Like watching people solve a puzzle in concrete is not like visually <laughs> something that I'm like, I can't wait to watch that. It's like, oh, but then you have the grievers okay. that yeah. are, you know, made of flesh and metal. <laughs> right. But the <laughs> grievers are in every single scene. And there's I a mean, lot fine. of there's a mm-hmm. lot of mazes and a lot of running in the mm-hmm. maze runner. Mm-hmm. But it is it's a it's a quality movie. It is also the movie that almost killed Dylan O'Brien. The reason that there's such a long break is Dylan O'Brien was doing oh. a stunt for the last movie and almost died. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Yes, yes, yes. And yep. how dare you, Maze Runner, almost take away Dylan O'Brien. I know. I know. Good choice, Lisa. Good choice. Thank you. Thank you. So, Lindsay, let's go watch some movies and you can hit us with the recap and tell the listeners how to vote. All right. <laughs> 
You all can go and vote for our garbage choices, my garbage choice of Allegiant, and Lisa's garbage choice of The Giver using the hashtags Lindsay Garbage or Lisa Garbage. And you can vote for our gold choices, my gold choice of The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2, and Lisa's gold choice of The Maze Runner using the hashtags Lindsay Gold or Lisa Gold on our Instagram and Twitter accounts at GarbageGoldPod. Or you can head on over to our Facebook page, Garbage and Gold Podcast, and vote in the polls there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that because we like to hear what you guys think and we like chatting with you about your choices. So get up in our feeds, tell us your feels, and also please tell us if you're a Team Peta or Team Gale because Lindsay and I are a house divided on that one also. Yeah, we are. I really want Katniss to be by herself. Like, I don't want her to pick anybody. Katniss should have been. I can tell you. I am. I. Whew. I almost threw out uh, Mockingjay because at the end where it's like, oh, yeah. and they get married. And I'm like, PETA deserves better. She doesn't even really like him. No, she does not like him. And that's one of the things She's I like settled. about Katniss. She's like, She's I settled. Just- and PETA deserves so much better. Nope. Katniss needed safety and security and someone who understood her. And so she married PETA because sometimes that's what a girl has to do. Team Gale, ladies and gentlemen. It- it destroyed me. Peter deserved better. Seriously. I'm so mad. Anyway. Okay. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> we will share the poll results and our favorite listener comments on our next episode. If you haven't already done so, if you could go to iTunes or wherever you listen to us every week and give us a rate, review, and subscribe, we would really like that. And if you want more of us, you can go to patreon.com slash garbagegoldpod, where you can get an extended outtake of this episode as well as other episodes. And then also our coverage of 90 Day Fiance Other Way. 90 Day Fiance, there's a lot of hot trash and we are super here for it. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Um, and then when you're done listening to all of those things, if you wouldn't mind telling your friends about us, we'd greatly appreciate a shout out. And mm-hmm. join us next week when we deliberate the garbage and gold of public pools. <laughs> Which was an instant garbage gold for me. I had it. Within me too. 10 seconds, so. Me too. Very me exciting. too. I'm going to have so many honorable mentions for garbage. <laughs> A lot. Yeah. <laughs> A lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. So good. Because it's summer. You might be able to go to a pool. You might not. I don't know. But we know the best and the worst things about it. We so sure you're welcome. Do. We sure do. <laughs> so that is next week. All right. Yes. Okay. So thank you for listening, everybody. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.